Today on the show, we're talking about the hows and whys of getting out of debt. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm your host. Thank you so much for being here with us today. As we bring you another episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast, I'm joined by my co-host Trevor. And Trevor, today we're talking about the hows and the whys of getting out of debt. Yeah, and I have a theory about that the hows and whys of anything in general. If you have a big enough why, meaning your motivation to do something, you will figure out how to get there on your own. It's coming up with an important why is the most important piece. So before we even jump into today's episode... I think it's important to talk about the inspiration behind this episode. So we received a listener contact form submission. And if you've ever wanted to touch base with us, uh, send us a show inspiration or a comment or a question, you could always do so through our contact submission form on our website at livelifesimple.ca. And we, we recently received a fantastic question and it really inspired this whole show. Um, it was rooted it was rooted around an individual. Um, he is graduating university soon. He has landed himself a great paying job through a paid internship that he was in. And it really just boils down to how can he pay off his student loan while still saving? And this question, while it is specific to uh, his situation, can really be applied to, uh, to any situation where you have debt and you also want to save. Yeah, and I think it's a great question. And I have a really short answer to that question, but unfortunately, I'm going to give you the long version. <laughs> of course. It wouldn't be Simple Money Solutions without that. Um, so, Trevor, you mentioned that the the why, the why is a lot more important than the how. But, I mean, we still have to know how to get out of debt. So, so why do you place the why higher than the how? Well, I think the problem with the, if you just focus on the how, and if the how gets a little bit hard or there's a little bit of resistance in you pursuing the how, and you know, if it gets, the waters get a little muddy or, or, or the outcome is not certain, then you start to lose motivation with your how. Whereas if you have a good reason to get out of debt, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change some aspect of your life, then y- you will not lose motivation. You will not, y- your progress will be consistent. You, you're working toward a bigger, more overarching goal. So, uh, I mean, we are going to talk about some examples of why you should get a, out of debt uh, later on in the show. But at the root core you know, of it... Here's, here's, a, here's a good example. Here's a good example. Just to say you come up with this thing, how I'm going to get a debt, I'm going to cut up my credit cards. You know, I'm just cutting them up. I'm throwing them out. Uh, uh, that's how I'm going to get a debt. I'm not going to use credit cards anymore. That how, it, it will work until the next credit card offer shows up in the mail or the next time you want to book a hotel room and you don't have a credit card, you, you, you end up getting one so you can book a hotel room. So that, that's how the house can fall off the rails in a hurry. I love that. I really love that because you're almost looking at the surface level of what's going on. You're not actually digging deep to the root cause or, or what is actually causing this, this ongoing behavioral habit. And your why, a lot of times if you uncover why you want to get a debt, it'll, it'll quite often 
it'll uncover why you got into debt in the first place. You know, what went wrong, you know, why you got here to start with. It might be the same why you're going to get out of this. No, that's, and that's so, it's it's so true. It is so true. So before we even get to the house, and that's the first thing we are going to talk about, um, Trevor, you, you say that that is kind of the easier portion of the two. And well, I think if we focus, if we just start with the whys, you know, if, I, if I'm a listener, I'm going to be saying, yeah, but how do I do this? So if we talk about the house first, I think that, that we can put that off to the side and then focus on the whys. So you've laid out two kind of major ways on how to get out of debt. So you have here the debt avalanche and the debt snowball, both of which we have talked about here on the show. But I think it's worth, again, like you said, kind of diving into these hows again. So if you think of the the debt avalanche is a, and I don't know who to give credit to these two. I looked up on the internet and I can't, I can't figure out who actually invented these terms. So I I know Dave Ramsey is a big fan of the debt snowball, but I, I don't think he invented the term, so I, I can't give credit to anybody on these. But so the, the debt avalanche is it's it's a system where this this assumes you have multiple debts. So the listener who wrote in, it sounds like they just have one, but assume say you have 10, 10 different debts you owe on, and they're all sort of consumer debt. So the debt avalanche would tell you to list all of your debts, highest interest rate to lowest interest rate. And, and then attack those debts going after the highest interest rate debt first, regardless of the size of that debt. If it's the highest interest rate, you go at it first. And the theory is the math says you're going to save money by paying off that higher interest rate, interest rate debt first. And on the surface, who could argue with that? The problem is if you're in deep in consumer debt, you didn't get in there because you didn't know how to do math. You got into consumer debt because you had a flawed behavioral aspect. So the debt snowball, it plays on your behavior. So the way the debt snowball works is you list all your debts, smallest debt to largest debt, and you attack them in that order. So you would pay off your smallest debt first, and then once that's gone, you move to the next and the next and so on. And the theory on that one is by getting that smallest debt out of your life, you get you get one creditor out of your life. You feel like you've made progress. You've, you've, you can stroke that off so you, you've got one less debt you owe on. You move on to the next one. And the reason I'm a fan of this, so part of the approach of, of getting out of debt is you have to go at it with such a level of intensity that the math on the interest really isn't going to matter. You want to kill these debts in the smallest window of time as possible. But Trevor, is that even, is that realistic when you, when you have a life to live, when you have other priorities, other financial commitments? Is that that intensity you're talking about? I mean, if I'm a listener right now, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes right now. Well, this assumes you're, 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 you have a debt problem and you've drawn a line in the sand and you said, I don't want to be in debt anymore. I, this is, there's too much stress. There's too much risk. This just... I, I can't, I, I'm just making monthly payments. That's all I do with my paycheck is just make monthly payments. So this would suggest that you want to, you know, you're going to make this life-changing move to get out of debt. So if you are doing that, if you're committed to living a debt-free life, if this is just a temporary fix, just say, hey, I, I just want to get rid of these debts and then I'm going to get right back into it because I'm okay with that. Then this isn't for you. But if you want to commit to a debt-free life, then I'm going to say you, what you have is a state of emergency. And in a state of emergency, you give up all the comforts of life 
and you just throw it all at your debts. But that doesn't sound very sustainable. I mean, you say gazelle like intensity, but we know gazelles can't run forever. So where where does this become unsustainable and a point of kind of a call it exhaustion where you just kind of resort back to your old habits? Well, I, so depending on how severe your debt problem is, you you can't you can't stop until you're done, and you you can't go at this over the course of ten years because you will just life will get in the way. You'll lose motivation. I'm saying this is consumer debt, so I'm not counting mortgages, but I will include car loans in this. You need to get after this and have it done inside of three or four years tops. So this is like a sprint versus a kind of 10K ten k run or a marathon. This is in, in a sense. Well, think of a mortgage as a marathon, but consumer debt, you should want to get out of that in such a hurry because the problem is you can't, move forward in your life as long as you're servicing consumer debt. I don't know if I'm digressing by asking this, but you you talk about where you draw that line in the sand where you finally realize, and, and maybe this is that, that line is drawn in the sand because of a, a, a why that you answer within your life, but what is going to cause that, that light switch to go off? I mean, you look around and anyone listening to this podcast, ourselves, it's not quite the norm to, to want to get out of debt. I mean, we're a lot of studies comfortable. So I'm just curious, and this could be digressing, but where does that 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 kind of line in the sand come from? How how do you even get to that point where you're you're willing to kind of just face the music? Well, it, well, I think it comes to the point where you're servicing so much debt and you're making minimum payments on so much consumer debt that you can't afford to actually do anything except service that debt. And this is, you know, when you're getting close to that financial edge, meaning all of your income is spoken for in turn in paying your bills plus servicing your debt. So you, that when you reach that pinnacle, I, I would hope that some, at some point you, you're going to want to clean the slate and, and get back to ground zero. So it becomes a point of necessity more than anything. Well, hopefully you come to this realization before that, right? So just just say you're doing your monthly budget, which everyone should do. And you, you, you start running sort of ratios on your expenses. And you notice that, you know, maybe 30% of your income is going to servicing debt that, that, you know, if you start seeing numbers like that or, or 40 or f- like I'm talking consumer debt, not mortgages. So, or, or even 50% of your income is servicing debt. All of a sudden, if you want to do something, it's going to require you borrowing money to do it. Just say you wanted to go on a vacation. Say you needed a new car. And when we talk about, so we talked about the debt avalanche where we prioritize based on interest rate, with, which is a more math-based approach. How does debt snowball compare in contrast to the debt avalanche? Well, the, the debt avalanche would assume that your, it was your poor math skills that got you into debt, right? So we're going to use math to get us out of debt, which unfortunately... That isn't how you got there. Nobody's standing at the register buying a 65-inch TV and you know they're struggling to do math saying, well, how much money's in my account again? I, I can't remember. Oh, uh, I, I think I have this much in my, you know. You, you, you can check your balance in your bank account on your phone at the register. There's nobody, in today's society, there's no reason you should ever buy something and realize after the fact, oh, I didn't have the money to buy this. 
So it is behavioral driven, the reason people get into consumer debt. It's, it's them spending money because it's that lizard brain saying, I want it now, right? There's, there's no patience. I see it. It's shiny. I want it. I got it. And I, I go back to these, you know, the Apple, when they launch a new iPhone and there's lineup of people, like it's, people wait all night in line to get these phones. And it's just this shiny new thing. There's no way all those phones stop working on the same day. These are people that just want the latest and greatest. So so with the debt snowball, it's, it sounds like that is your preferred method you're the one that you favor over debt avalanche when is it when would it be advantageous to use the debt avalanche approach or or why does that approach even exist well it exists for the people that don't that i think it's just a bad approach i it, it exists because that's what most people do so now they've just named it so if you're sitting there with a credit card that the uh, balances that you're paying 19 or 20 percent on and a student loan that you're paying, uh, I don't know, 5 or 6% interest on, logic would say, let's get rid of that credit card payment uh, debt first because I'm, I'm paying 20% on it. But if you go at it with such a level of intensity, I know there's people who are going to disagree with this approach, but you didn't get into debt because you couldn't do math. And that's, so using math to get out of debt is, if you, it, just say you do get rid of that 20% interest rate debt, you'll feel so good about it that you probably might not even move on to the 5 or 6% interest rate debt because you'll, you'll, you'll have felt you've accomplished so much getting rid of that high interest rate debt that you won't finish your, your goal, right? You'll, you'll take that as a bigger win than it really is. So I don't know. I don't know if this is the, the elephant in the room or anything, but what if it feels, I mean, if how to get it a debt, it's, it's easy. It's really nice of us to be able to say these things on the podcast. But I mean, at some point that it could feel insurmountable to get out of that debt. Are these strategies, specifically the debt snowball, is it is it for sure going to work? How can we trust that this strategy is going to be effective? Well, you, you really have to give up so it's going to hurt. It has to leave a mark. If, if you got into a mountain of consumer debt, getting out, it, it's going to be hard. It's, it's not going to be easy. How do you know it's going to work? You really have to chart this out on a spreadsheet or on paper and you take out all the comforts of your life. Like if you have a cable package and you need to stop all savings of every kind, even retirement savings, you need to stop everything. The thing is consumer debt, if, you, if you're committed to a debt-free life, Consumer debt should look like a state of emergency emergency to you. It should look like the wheels have completely fallen off. I have to fix this now. So if you're going at it with the, that kind of intensity, it, it's going to be this incredibly small window of time when you're out. But it's going to take a, a, a whole family committing to this, right? It can't be just one person who's beating this drum and, and everyone else is just rolling their eyes. This has to be a, a, a whole family commitment to getting out of debt, and you don't you don't have to. You can look on the internet. There there is countless stories of people who have done this. I'm a big fan of Reddit. If you go to that user form, you you search out you know debt free life, and you'll find countless stories of people who have who've conquered this monster. So you mentioned that mortgages are not included within. Um, kind of how to get out of debt. So where would where would paying off your mortgage count and why it wouldn't not be included within this equation? 
Well, on the surface, a lot of people might say, okay, a mortgage, it's an investment, right? You're buying a house, that's an investment. Well, I, I disagree. I really don't think a house is an investment, but I think it's kind of unrealistic to buy a house, something of that value, cash, right? So you're going to have to borrow the money to, to buy a house. Now, what a mortgage represents is you're buying something that typically goes up in value. So borrowing money for things that go up in value is generally okay. Borrowing money for a student loan, you're, you, you are going to go up in value. That's okay. Borrowing money for a car, that's going to go down in value. That's not okay. So uh, borrowing money for a home is is okay because it goes in value, but it's not an investment. Uh, houses are great wealth building tools in the form of forced savings. So you borrow money from a bank, you buy a house, and you pay it back. So if you if if you have the discipline to to just save this money on your own without the contract with a bank to repay them, and you put your money into some sort of index fund or, or some other thing, although you can't live in one of those, your return on investment would be as good or better than a house. But So a house is a great wealth building tool primarily because of the forced savings. So a lot of people will think, you know, had I not bought this house, I, I wouldn't be as well off today as I am. And, and that's true because you were forced to save that money. It's a really revolutionary concept. I know we've talked about it here on the podcast before, but any new listeners who kind of haven't heard us discuss that, it's super, it, it, it's not what you intuitively dream of as a strategy to to gain equity. And I am a homeowner. I have a paid for house and I can say with certainty that I accumulated a lot of wealth because of my home. That forced savings also helped me. And this is kind of this is kind of off topic from being debt free, but I I just wanted to under understand why I'm excluding mortgages and how borrowing money for a, an asset that goes up in value, it kind of makes sense. It, it well not kind of it does make sense. So before we get onto the whys of why you should live a debt free life or want that. I want to address kind of that savings portion that was included within our listeners' uh, contact submission that uh, he 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 brought forward to us. So he he's he's making he he's he's he says that he's an organized and um, he plans. So he's he's very with a financial uh, mindset, very financially kind of geared. But that and he is starting off his new job with with a great um, starting salary. Um, but he does have a lot of student debt. So is it possible to to do both, to, to save and to pay off that debt? Well, it becomes kind of a, a chicken and the egg thing. Like, how, how long is it okay to have student debt for? Like, is, is, is five years okay? Is 10 years okay? Is 25 years okay? There's people that carry student loan debt, roll it into their mortgages. So there's a 25-year... A, a uh, student loan. I mean, you might work 30 years, so you will have borrowed the money to get your career and, and you'll have paid it back over the course of your whole career. I don't, like, everyone would have their own tolerance, but I don't think, if you think about it, if you if you have, uh, say, $100,000 worth of debt and $100,000 worth of savings, your net worth would be zero, right? Right. So why not just put all your efforts in channeled into one aspect of that? 
that equation. Why not get rid of the debt? Like you, you, if you're saving at the same rate you're paying off your debt, are you really gaining anything? Now, people will say, well, you know, it's in an investment, it's gaining interest and it's, it's compounding. Well, so is your debt. And so the debt avalanche, you could, you could further take that and say, well, if I'm getting a better interest rate on my uh, investments, then, then I should do that. But I go back to, if you have debt in your life, then I always go back to it. If you have a, if you have a little bit of debt in your life, what's wrong with a little bit more? So it, it, your, your mindset, your mentality will be changed by getting debt out of your life. You're not going to say, oh, well, I, I have this student loan and I have this uh, home equity line of credit. Well, you know, what's, what's a little bit more of debt? You know, it's not going to change my life that much. So if we do take that approach where we kind of focus all our efforts on getting out of debt, regardless if it's um, consumer debt or, or a school, school loan debt, where does the money come from then for financial emergencies, for anything else that, that, that comes, comes up? Now that's a good question. So before you start a, uh, your journey to debt freedom, you need to start with an emergency fund. And you need, so you would start with, you know, stop all debt pay, repayment, stop everything and get $1,000 in the bank. That's called the starter emergency fund. So you got to start there. $1,000 will quite often solve life's little problems that come up, most of them. Then once you have that in there, then you start working towards, so this is the only savings you can do. While you're servicing all of your debts, minimum payments, you start building a three-month emergency fund. So this is three months of your basic living expenses. You get that in the bank. So now you have, you're insulated from life for three months of expenses. And then at that point, you go and you do the debt snowball. So that, that's kind of the order you would do it in. See, that seems very manageable. That seems bite-sized. That seems very systematic. And I like that it's kind of one after another, very linear. You do, and, and, the, and then once you do pay off your debt, then you can start saving. So it's very, you don't have to do a juggling act, which I think comes to mind in, when I do think of paying off debt and saving at the same time. But think about the transition you're going to have to make. So if just say you, you're in deep consumer debt, so you have clearly been spending more than you earn for quite some time to, to end up in that place. So now the transition you're going to have to make is you're going to have to change your life, and this would be dramatic, to a life where you earn more than you spend and then have the discipline to put that money in the bank and not touch it. That, to, to, me, to just go emotionally or psychologically from those two places is going to require an immense amount of effort and discipline. This is where you need the really big, why am I doing this? Oh, I agree. And I'm glad you brought that up. It's that, that transition, like you said, might be the, the kind of the most challenging first step. Now our our listener right in, there's this, this is student debt. They didn't get there. You know, in that, email I, I read they didn't this isn't I'm not talking about that person at all in, in that scenario the student debt again if I'm going to borrow money for things things that go up in value the, the, I'm, I'm okay borrowing money for that so a student loan you went up in value that's okay so uh, you brought up why and I think it's perfect time to jump into the reasons about why you should want to live a debt-free life and, and Trevor I mean why 
I get we live in a society where debt is normal, but is that the the sole reason why we should have to even dedicate a whole episode to to why you should want to live in debt? I mean, why would you not? Well, you said it right there. Our society has deemed debt is normal. You know, debt is okay. There, every transaction you make in society today, most of them have some form of credit attached to it. So your credit card obviously is called a credit card, but your 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 debit card generally people have an overdraft associated with their bank accounts. So there isn't much. In fact, when you go to buy a car, I just bought a car recently, a used car, and I had to tell these the people that's buying it from three times that I'm paying cash. You know, I, I'm not I'm not <laughs> borrowing the money, and because they would every they pull out the paperwork. You know, you're signing all these things, and I go and I'd say, "What's this for?" And they would say, and then, and then I, actually at the end, if you're borrowing money from the dealership to buy the car, they require proof of insurance. And they asked me for a copy of my insurance slip. And I said, why? And, and then again, they, I, we had to go, oh, yeah, yeah, you're not borrowing money for this. So their whole system was set up. Every question they asked, all the forms they had to give you were in this folder, this package. One of them included borrowing the money to buy the car. So they... That's the assumption. Like they, they didn't. Oh, oh, and you wanted to borrow money for this? Well, that we have. There's another process for that, right? No, it was built into the the, the canned process. The canned uh, interaction with this dealership was I was borrowing money to buy the car. Wow, wow. Yeah. That reminds me of uh, when I go to places and they ask if I want cheese on something, and I say no, I'm good, and then I get asked two or three more times. I, I just for anyone who's new. I, um, I, I maintain a vegan plant-based lifestyle. And so it's it's the norm to want to have cheese on things. I mean, I, I used to love cheese too. So it's, it's really funny that when you go against the grain of society, you kind of get re-questioned and questioned again, which kind of makes you at times, if you don't have maybe the confidence or the sureness of your decision to kind of wonder, okay, is this weird? Is this wrong? Am I doing something that I shouldn't be? And it kind of reinforces that. So it's that's it's your example there trevor is absolutely i i can't believe it well here's the bigger one is if you don't have a good why this is where you could get into trouble so i'm in this dealership buying this used car i'm paying cash for it and when they realize it's paying cash every single dealership i went to they said you realize you could be we could get you into a new car uh, (laughs) and and for very small payments you know clearly you have enough of a down payment on this new car that your payments would be incredibly small on this brand new car. Wow. And it would be brand new. It would smell brand new. It'd have all that brand new stuff with it. It'd be shiny. And, and, and I said, literally the, they had these salespeople were really polished and they said it in such a way that what I was saying, they made it feel like I, I was, I might have, you know, slipped and bumped my head outside before I come in and I wasn't of sound mind. Right. <laughs> and they wanted to be, they kept saying, are you sure you do not want to? And of course we're sitting right beside brand new cars. And then they tell you about all the new features on the newest model. That's not on my, the used one I'm buying and, and all the warranties and go on and on. And so if your why is not strong, then you will be a victim because our society wants you to borrow money. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's 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 absolutely I, I i've never purchased a, a car before so i just that's that blows my mind that that's the uh, the process behind there wow 
But on the on the topic of why, though, let's jump into, um, Trevor, you've put together a list of four whys in why you should want to live a debt-free life. So with these four whys that we're about to kind of bring forward, these aren't going to apply to everyone, right? And, and, and in the terms of developing a why, should it, not, should it, it should be personally resonating towards the individual too. I like what you said in developing a why. And I think these four points will help you develop your why. So these, these four aren't the whys, but they will work toward developing your why. Or in serving maybe as inspiration. Yeah. Okay, definitely. And and on that, and before we even jump into number one, are these in any specific order as well? I think I, I put them, they are in very specific order. So the, the, the least important to the most important. And so let's, let's just jump into number one. And number one that you have here is reduced risk. Your biggest financial risk is a loss of income to cover your expenses. So if you do anything to increase your expenses and increase them in a contract-like nature, meaning you have an obligation to an, a certain amount of money over a certain period of time, you have just brought risk into your life that did not exist before. So by buying a car with a car loan, and I've talked before, I'm comfortable with a three-year car loan. If if you have to borrow money for a car, it has to be repaid over three years. So I'm all about not overextending myself to debt over a period of time where I'm committed. for, Because then all of a sudden you need income to cover more expenses. So if you lose your job, the risk has just been increased. So a couple of different things from that. First off, so if we're looking at an example of the post-secondary education, you say that's one of kind of the more acceptable forms of debt. You, that, that individual entered into the post-secondary education knowing that he was assuming that risk, that extra um, financial burden that he would eventually have to pay off. So on that note, some debt is, or some financial risks are, are worth taking. You always see that when you're young, you can take more risks. So can, can some financial risks be weighed differently in the terms of, in this case, the post-secondary education? So borrowing money to, to increase your skill set, it, it the reward is you'll you'll get a, a higher potentially a higher income because of it. So then you you have a a bigger tool to pay off that debt with. So you have a risk reward. But if you borrowed sixty five thousand dollars for a truck, oh that truck, <laughs> there it, it's all risk unless you unless you are a contractor or you're making money with that truck and most of the trucks I see in my town are being driven like cars. So I'm going to, I'm going to say for most people, that's not the case. So assume you're not using it to plow parking lots and and haul people's junk around. You're just driving it because it's shiny. So you borrow $65,000 for a truck. It's all risk, 100% risk. You borrow $165,000 for education. There's risk and reward. Now the problem is if you borrow money for education and you two two risks that you could get into is you don't finish the education and then you never do get that reward meaning the higher paying job to pay off the debt that's that's the disaster. So if you go to school for 3 or 3 and a half years and then you you quit, drop out or you don't you don't finish 
then that that's that's all risk. I mean, it, it completely went off the rails. But you could also you could finish your four years and the job opportunities just aren't there. You have to pick a bad career. So you still have risk there, right? So you, you, you could have thought, I'm going to get into this particular line of work and you graduate and the jobs you thought were going to be there aren't. And then you end up with an education that you, you can't find. You know, that skill set's not in demand anymore. So that, that's, there's always risk associated with debt. It may not work out. Can you recall, to kind of bring this this point to, to life, can you recall a time when you kind of took risk into your life and, and how it made you feel and, and what kind of anxiety it caused you? And 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 maybe did, did this risk ever even make you worry about keeping your job or maintaining the level of income that you were ad- obtaining? Well, anyone who's bought their first house you sign up for 25 years of mortgage payments and you generally, your first house is a fixer upper. It's not for some people, they start it with a new home, but most people don't. So you, you buy your first home, you sign up, you know, there's the most amount of money you've ever spent. You move in and those houses generally are just, there's problems on top of problems with, with the house, you know, plumbing problems, electrical problems. And you start to wonder, what did I buy? You know, this thing, this thing is just, and then, but you, then you realize maybe after a couple of years that this thing actually went up in value and, and you start to feel better. So anyone who's ever bought their first house and it's a fixer upper, they will have felt this uh, pit in their stomach and they, they've in, they, they will have known the risk they've introduced into their life. Even though it goes up in value, it's your first house. You don't know that how much is going to go up by you just think you bought a world of problems so i want to move on to talking about your second why that you should consider when you're considering why you should live a debt-free life and number two here is freedom of choice paying for your past actions in the future so this is when i lived so and i've mentioned it on the podcast before so i graduated from post-secondary education I got a job in my field, so everything was just going along just perfectly. And I, I bought a brand new car because everybody I knew was buying <laughs> brand new cars and they were shiny, right? So brand new car. I, I didn't go crazy on it. It was a pretty uh, uh, low, low cost car. It wasn't, wasn't like as big sporty thing. So, but it was still brand new. And I, I had a nice big long car loan with it. And I uh, ended up, my job where I worked, they kind of changed the job I did and it turned into something I just hate. Not, not, I didn't like, I hated. And I started looking for another job and I realized I had this boat anchor of a car payment attached to me now. And every job I looked at, I had to get paid enough to cover my rent plus this car payment. And I remember going to a job interview and, you know, getting to like the second or third interview and they offered me the job and they told me how much it was. And I guess I must have looked pretty alarmed because my, my jaw just dropped way down, just about hit the desk. And I thought, I, I can't take this job at that price. You know, I, I have all these expenses. I have to, obligations I have. I didn't say that to them. I was going through my mind. I, I said, well, I'll get back to you. And I, I phoned them back and said, you know, I, I have to decline. And they asked me why. And I said, well, you know, it's, it's quite a bit less than I'm currently making. And they said, well, but you know, there's a lot of opportunity here. And I said, I know there is, but I, I really can't afford to take the pay cut and they couldn't afford to pay me any more in that position. 
And I, I still live with that regret today. I mean, that company is still in business. I, I don't know if it would have worked out or not, but that's, that's a real world example. So my freedom of choice because of that car payment. Now I could have sold the car, but I, again, I was in this mentality that everyone had new cars. I, and, and I just thought, well, I'm always going to have a car payment. So I have to figure out a way to make a car payment work in my life. I, I never entertained the idea of living debt free. Wow. So that really, that does bring to life the, the example, like you said, of, of what this debt took away from you. It took away for your choice to, 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 to engage with, with, uh, with different opportunities that because of, of again, your car payment. So I want to move on to the third point and the third of four points is reduce stress. So I think it's pretty obvious and, and apparent that when we think of debt, we think of stress. Yeah. And if you think of, of life in general, just say you have a young family and you've got a calendar on the fridge and you're, you're planning your week's events and, or your month, your month's activities with your family and all the places you have to be and all the things you have to get done. And in there is is you know managing your income satisfying your debts if you could think of people don't realize the time they spend servicing debts not not just financially but mentally you trying to keep track of all the bills you have imagine if you had no debts to manage none you you didn't have to think about your car payment, when's it due? Is my paycheck coming in and my car payment's going out and you got to make sure they line up and, and, in, and then maybe it's even worse. You think, okay, I'm, I'm almost at the end of my overdraft. Uh, I got the car payment coming out. I've got my paycheck coming in, but not till the Friday, but the car make payment comes out on Wednesday and we need groceries, but the overdraft is almost, you, you can see where you, you, you add just volatility to your life. And then another thing, if, you will just say you have a an interest a, a debt that has a fluctuating interest rate so it's one more thing in your life another moving piece that that you might have just got comfortable with these payments with this floating interest rate and all of a sudden interest rates spike up and that that's going to affect you immediately so it's i, I just think it, it becomes another thing you have to juggle or manage or just think about in your life so Trevor, in saying that, I mean, we could have a listener thinking, but Trevor, you're you're basically in your financial independence. You're you're semi retiring soon. Um, you you just bought a car with cash. I mean, is it you you you're you have again because you're in that stage of financial independence, and um, that that the stress is obviously reduced. You've you've worked for. 20, 25 plus years, is this reasonable, realistic for someone just starting off in their career to, or is stress a necessary part of, of a younger person's, person's world? So I'm saying, I gave you an example where I had a car loan in my younger years. So I'm saying this from a, a point where I wish I had not done these things. So having a car loan, if you think about paying back the car loan versus savings, just say you have a $500 car payment. Well, if you could get to ground zero where you had no debt, you clearly you were able to part with $500 every month to make that car loan payment. So there's nothing stopping me from putting the $500 aside for that future car. That's what I did to pay cash for my car. I just saved up a little bit of money, money every month 
and eventually I had enough to buy a car. And I have my cars for 10, 12 years. That's, you know, 500 bucks a month. That's going to buy you a pretty nice car, right? That's more than enough money. If you, you don't have to be a mathematician to, to get to that number. So that's, but, but what it takes, what that takes is discipline to have that money sitting in a bank account or an investment account, knowing, you know, it's in a TFSA or, or however you want it. You can get at it any time, but you choose not to. That's the point you have to get to. And that is the discipline I'm talking about with that. You need a pretty big why to have that discipline. And I like the emphasis on setting a little bit aside each month and, and that philosophy that it makes it not a philosophy, but that, 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 that action that makes getting out of debt it was so much more manageable and because you're doing it in little bite-sized pieces, even whether you're for your saving goals or, or debt repayment goals, it just those bite-sized pieces makes, makes really anything achievable from, from paying off your student loan to like you did buying a used car. Well, what a lot of people do is just say they were making a $500 car payment every month and they finally pay off the car and they find some other thing to gobble up that $500 every month some other expense will come into their lives and it'll get consumed up that $500 that they thought they'd be saving. It's that discipline to don't let that happen. Don't let lifestyle inflation, you know, gobble up your money. Don't, don't let that be the opportunity to sign up for that new cable package or some other monthly expense in your life. So I want to move on to talking about the fourth and final why and why you should live a debt-free life. And this one I'm really curious about um, what, I guess, what this point means to you. So point number four here is change how you view money. So I, I look at myself, I have no debt in my life at all, none. And I I have no mechanism in my life to repay debt. So I, I have a credit card. I use it as a, as a form of payment. I don't use a credit aspect of it. So I don't, but I don't have any, um, borrowing accounts, home equity line of credits. The home equity line of credit is a really bad one. So a lot of times people will get their mortgage, finally get their mortgage paid off. And when you do this, this is what the banks do. When you go to, you finally pay off your mortgage, they say you should get a home equity line of credit now that you have all this equity in your home and you can use it whenever you want. It's this revolving credit. You just, you just, it's, it, you use your debit card and you just go buy stuff and it'll, it'll just go against your, the equity in your home. It's like so a way to, to a, tap into the equity before you sell your home then. Well, no, but it, it, before you sell it, it, it's, it, it's still money that you owe. So it's not like you've gained or leveraged anything. So a lot, what a lot of people do is they will do home renovations using their home equity line of credit. It's called the HELOC is the abbreviated. And it's at a really low interest rate because your house is is the collateral for that loan. So the bank has very little risk in loaning you that money because, I mean, if you were to default on it, I guess it's, it's some form they could take your home, right? So, uh, so changing how you view money. So if you have credit at your disposal or you, you use credit, even use the credit on your credit card, if you know you have credit and you see something, you, you, you don't go through the exercise saying, can I really afford this? You know, how much money's in my account? You just, if you have credit, you see it, you buy it, you take, you get it home, you use it, right? It's, it's, it's that easy. 
I have an old lawnmower in my garage, and I, I know I need to get a new one maybe this this spring. So, I, if I didn't, if I if I had credit in my life, I I wouldn't think about that until, you know, the grass looks like it needs cutting. <laughs> maybe I should go get a lawnmower, right? I wouldn't I wouldn't think about it then. But when you don't have credit, I think okay, I need to start saving for a lawnmower. I'm talking about in February. I'm talking about a lawnmower because I'm pretty sure I'm going to need one in May. So that's that's how you change how you view money. I'm planning. I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking, okay, I, I can't wait till May to really see how much lawnmowers cost or if I have enough money to buy one. I, I, I don't want to be there cutting it by hand. I don't know what you do with a lawnmower. But. <laughs> Why, in your stomach with scissors? <laughs> yeah, so so I'm, so you, you, you change how you view money is you have to think very forward. You have to think into the future all the time. Because with credit, you're just looking back. You know, what did I buy? Oh, yeah, this is, I owe this money because I bought this thing last year. Whereas I'm looking forward. Change how you view money because now you have to plan. You have to strategize into the future. You, you can't just react to things. You have to, you need to have a plan. You need to have a budget. You need to, so it, it changes how you view money because there's more planning involved, less lizard brain reacting I want it now, therefore I'll buy it. For instance, I have an iPhone 6. The iPhone 10 is out. I know my iPhone, it's getting older. It seems to need to charge more often. I'm not going to wait until it doesn't hold the charge anymore. I'm thinking about it now. Like with my car, I knew my car was getting older. It was 12 years old. It had quite a few kilometers on it. I had to. I was thinking about buying a car, uh, replacing that car probably a year before I did. And saving up the money and thinking about what I'm going to buy. So it changes how you view money because you, you, you are forward thinking with money. You're thinking and strategizing about what you're going to do with your money in the future. So, and, and most people who are repaying debt, it's about what have I done with my money in the past? So that is the, how the view changes. And like you always say too, when you're out of debt, you don't want to get back into debt by any means. So like you're saying, it definitely changes how how easily you're going to throw something on your credit card versus how willing you are to save up for it. Yes, it 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 really. Uh, when you see, you use the word willing to, I, I th- if you're committed to a debt free life, I, I think the choosing to would probably be the, the a better way to phrase that. Yeah, no, definitely choosing to is is accurate. And and on top of that, I want to add that we always say that being financially savvy and frugal and and just putting your finances first is not always convenient or pleasant or easy and i think the same would apply to to kind of planning unless you absolutely love deep down to your core thinking ahead and 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 strategizing about when your lawnmower is going to die and and having to buy a new one and maybe some that's something you kind of enjoy thinking about trevor and budgeting ahead but if, if if you don't i mean that's that that's it's not it's not always you kind of have to always be thinking and you're always on your toes but with a credit card i mean it's easy i need a credit card i'll go buy one so it kind of adds that level of 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 taking away the convenience of it when you are thinking about things um in a smart way you do make a good point there so using credit it, it, on the surface it looks easy being uh, debt free and doing financial planning and and planning future expenses it's effort. You're right. It's never, 
being financially responsible is never going to be easy, but it's always going to be worth it. I mean, Trevor, that's just one example of something. I mean, it's it's this, there's still snow on the ground. You're already thinking about cutting your grass. I mean, yes, we're all excited for spring and, and, and maybe the elimination of snow, but you're thinking from a very utilitarian practical uh, level of, of, and some people don't mean like cutting their grass. So you're really just kind of thinking, p- compounding the spending money, cutting grass. You're and that's just again one probably example of of maybe 10 or, or, or 20 or 30 or 40 other things in your life that you're also kind of thinking about and 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 how you're going to replace or fix or or purchase moving forward that's a that's a very good point and think about the control i have i i, I am complete control of when i'm going to purchase that lawnmower how much i'm going to pay for it i i can because I assume they go on sale as soon early spring, but like before you actually need them, so I can keep an eye out for them. But if I was just reacting with my credit card, I might be buying a lawnmower at that the most expensive time. Like I might be buying it when they're the the most expensive, but I have my credit card, so the, the cost really doesn't matter. Is the mentality people would take? Oh, exactly. And and when we're talking about why, we're also talking about intentionality. So I mean you're financially independent so you're obviously not living paycheck to paycheck so as a as a listener i be, i may be saying but trevor you obviously have money in your bank account why are you even thinking about lawnmowers but i mean you, if you need one you're just going to go buy one cuz the money's sitting there but on top of that you you're not even your you your why is so resolute in your mind that you're not just relying on this big lump sum in your in your bank account to carry you when you when you think about things that you need no you're planning out every kind of and I'll call one more kind of a more major person purchase than minor um not as big as a car of course or a home but it it, it is it's heftier than kind of shelling out 10 or 20 dollars so it's there's so much intentionality i think in from the why it's all kind of rooted back to the why and you know it's the uh it uh, you're right i i have the money in the bank to buy a lawnmower but it's i've been doing this for so long that it's just ingrained in me to think that way i've just you can't you can't turn this off now so once you get to this debt-free life and and all the planning and and future decision making you go through you, you don't just once the money's you reach a point of financial independence. You just can't turn that off. I mean, it's it's and it's a great thing not to turn off. It's I have this skill or this ingrained mentality that I'm always going to be proactively thinking about future expenses and how I'm going to deal with them. That I, I I don't need to, but I do it anyway. I can't turn that switch off, and and I don't want to turn it off. And I think this this definitely leads me to my next question. In that, it sounds like you live a lot in the future. So how, and I know that's not true. That's just kind of the skeptical listener question. How do you live in the present while still thinking about the future? Well, if you think about debt, with debt, you're really living in the past when you're repaying debt. And so we all live in the moment. And so someone who has a a debt, a, a life of debt is living in the moment and in the, and in the past. They're not living in the future at all. So for me, I'm living in the moment and in the future, and I'm leaving the past behind. If I had to choose one of those two scenarios, I, I think I would I would choose to be thinking about tomorrow instead of, you know, brooding over yesterday. No, that makes sense. 
And when we're talking about kind of developing personal whys, so the four whys we went through, which again will be in the show notes if you want to refer back to um, everything we talked about during the show. But if I'm developing a a why that really resonates at my core, how do I begin digging down to get to that core uh, why? And and, and I guess what are good examples and how can I just begin getting there? So these, you go through, if you ask yourself these four questions, you know, what risk would this reduce in my life if I if I got this specific debt out of my life? What freedom of choice would I now have if I didn't have this debt in my life? What stress would leave my life if I if I didn't have this debt? And when all this debt is gone, how would just ask yourself, would I really view money differently with, with all this debt in my life? And I guarantee you the answer will be yes. But I mean that's how I would go through go through those four points in that order. And at the end, just if you could envision being debt-free, your how would your view of money change? So it might not be the same view I have with this. You know, you people might not like to overly think about the future and money they're going to have to spend. But maybe, this sounds hokey, but maybe the grass feels different when you walk across your front lawn and you're mortgage-free. Like maybe you, you feel differently about the things you own when you don't owe for them, you just own them. I like that. I like that a lot. So uh, Trevor, that has brought us to the end of today's episode. We've talked about how to get out of debt with the debt avalanche and the debt snowball. And then the four reasons why you should want to live a debt-free life. Do you have any final thoughts or takeaways to wrap up this episode on the whys and hows of getting out of debt? Yeah, I would say using debt as a financial management tool will force the decisions you make today to be controlled by your actions of yesterday. And on that note, thank you so much for being here with us today as we talk about a core concept that's deeply rooted within Simple Money Solutions of the whys and hows of debt. Thank you so much for being here with us. We can't wait to have you back here with us next week for another episode. Until then, not only keep it simple, but good luck on the rest of your journey of frugality February, our no spend on coffee and tea challenge. If you are wondering about that challenge at all, you can always go to our website, uh, livelifesimple.ca, where we have more information on it about it. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.